Open your Bibles with me to Psalm 45. Psalm 45. I saw in the words of a song that we just sang a few minutes ago, Majestic Sweetness Sits Enthroned, some of the words and phrases out of this 45th Psalm. I asked the Lord while we were singing, Praise Him, Praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Praise Him, praise Him, tell of His excellent greatness, His unbounded love, wonderful, deep, and strong, that my God and your God would communicate that to my mother this morning. She would love to be here and to sing that with us. She has sung it more times than any of you ever have. And I dare say that she's meant it more than most of us. But I'm thankful, my Father, for love unbounded, wonderful, deep, and strong. Amen. I'm thankful for a mother that sang about Jesus Christ to me when I was in her womb. There are few mothers like that in the history of the world. I'm thankful for a mother that told me of his excellent greatness and gave her life in serving him as well as she knew how. But I'm not here to preach about my mother. God forbid that I would ever do that. I'm here to preach about the one that she would want me to preach about and the one I told her last night that I would be preaching about, whether she understood me or not, I'll leave that in the Lord's hands. I want you to look at Psalm 45 because I want to defend briefly before I get going again my plan and method for preaching to you these sermons. I have taken the title for these messages from the Song of Solomon Chapter 5 and verse 16, He is altogether lovely. Every aspect, all of His parts, all of His actions, His entire history combined together is lovely. It is beautiful. It is adorable. It is wonderful. And you should love Him for all that He is, all that He has done all that He has promised, and all that He will do for us, for His honor and glory. He is altogether lovely. The lover there, the bride, was asked by other women, what makes your beloved so unique and different that we should spend our day trying to locate Him for you? And she told them in a beautiful descriptive list, and we looked at that last Sunday. But she concluded with, Yea, he is altogether lovely. I have listed ten aspects or traits of him, but all of his traits are lovely, and I have run out of my ability to describe how beautiful he is. Song of Solomon 5, 9-16. through 16. For those of you that may be listening to this, that are not in this assembly... I encourage you to stop right now and go to Matthew chapter 22 verses 1 through 7 or on our website to stop this sermon and to listen to the introduction that is also found there for this date because you need to be reminded and warned from Matthew 22 and Romans 11 of God's severity toward those that make light of His Son. He has been good to us Gentiles. Amen. That goodness will cease if we are not faithful and continue in that goodness. I turn you to Psalm 45 this morning because I want the first clause of the second verse because it is the basis for this series of messages. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Here the Holy Spirit of God Himself compares the Lord Jesus Christ, in a superlative way, in a comparative way, 
to the children of men, to the men of this world, to human men, to ordinary men, to the best of men. Jesus Christ is fairer. And so the Holy Spirit tells us that making a comparison is a right thing and a good thing, and the Holy Spirit answers the issue by stating He is fairer than the children of men. What good is the comparative praise, though, unless we think of those ways in which Jesus Christ is superior? Right. What is a good man to the children of men? What is a great man to the children of men? What would be the best man they can even imagine among the children of men? Jesus Christ is fairer. And for us to exalt him, we need to make that comparison. When the Bible says he is king of kings, and we don't have a king, and we don't know what a king is, and we've never seen a king, we need to go into the Bible and read about real kings to appreciate Jesus is king of kings. He's Nebuchadnezzar's king. And Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king this earth ever saw. But Nebuchadnezzar learned the truth about our Lord. He was his king and his Lord. And he was able to abase those that walk in pride like Nebuchadnezzar had. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 5 and verse 10, it says this about our Lord. In a metaphor of that book, he is the chiefest among 10,000. Well, for him to be the chiefest among 10,000, we need to ask, out of 10,000, what are some of the good traits they would have? And once we find those traits and list some of those traits, then we can compare the Lord Jesus Christ to them and find him superior. These are Bible Phrases and clauses given to us by the Holy Spirit that show us that making a comparison is a necessary thing to appreciate what the Bible is saying and an inspired thing. Jesus is described comparatively and superlatively in other places. I will make him higher than the kings of the earth. Psalm 89 verse 27. In Isaiah 52 and verse 13. The Holy Spirit puts it this way. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. In John chapter 1 and verse 27, the Holy Spirit uses this language. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. So he was much greater than John the Baptist. And Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest born of women. And so throughout the pages of Scripture, John himself would say, I must decrease, he must increase. That's a life verse. And that was declared by the man greatest of those born of women. He must increase, I must decrease. And we want to do that today. The mouthpiece you have is no better than Balaam's transportation. It's the words that come from God's Word that that convey truth that I want you to delight in. And I want you to only see the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the way that God has ordained. You stand before people and you open the Word of God and you read in the book in the law of God distinctly and you give the sense. That's preaching. But ignore the preacher and think on the one who is sitting behind me that I am introducing to this assembly. We have met him before, but I am reminding you of all the things that he has done and all the character traits that he possesses, and I will not get them all, but I will make an effort. At it, that we might delight in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians 2, he's been given a name which is above every name. In Colossians chapter 1, He is the firstborn of the dead. In Colossians chapter 1, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so on and so forth. Brethren, we don't want to trivialize the Lord of glory by cheap, crass, demeaning, or unprofitable comparisons. But neither do we want to spiritualize him into a nebulous, unknowable, untouchable spirit. Because he is not. He is the man, Christ Jesus. 
If he were here, he would need a chair to sit. He's not a spirit. He's the man, Christ Jesus. He was born of a virgin named Mary in Judea. We want to know him as such. Brethren, what you will get out of this series of messages, what you put into it by his spirit. If you want to think about other things, if you want to think about other passages of scripture, if you want to let your mind wander, you're pretty worthless as a hearer. You're pretty worthless in the sight of God. You need to be focusing your attention and choosing to follow the words God's given your pastor to lead you to see and to think and to love the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll get out of it based on the amount of time you spend in praying, in preparing, and in participating, and the passion that you elicit from your own heart and soul about the Lord Jesus. It's a choice to love Him. He's given us by regeneration the power to love Him. Now it's our choice to exercise that grace and to lift that grace up and to labor more abundantly than others by paying attention to what is said. I cannot do it for you. You must do it. I want you to remember as we make these comparisons how friendly, personal, and intimate he was and how the Bible tells us so about his relationships with John. John, the one who rested on his bosom. That's close. I haven't seen any of you men doing that. But John and Jesus did it. And his friendship and his love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and others. The special attention that he gave the Peter, James, and John. I want you to remember Paul's inspired human comparisons and speaking as a fool in several places where he had to defend himself and exalt his authority. But I'm not defending Paul nor exalting his authority. I'm defending Jesus Christ and exalting his authority. The Bible tells us in several places from the pen of Paul, I speak as a man. I speak after the manner of men. I speak as a fool. I have been compelled to boast. But I wouldn't boast today in the Apostle Paul. I'm going to boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and of the one who hung on that cross in particular. And so I'm telling you the reason for my plan and method. I want you to reject all thoughts about a prospective husband or an existing husband. This is not a lesson even secondarily or indirectly of what your husband ought to be like, what he could be like, or if you are unmarried, what kind of a man you ought to marry. I will say this, however, for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and who love the words that I am saying about him to you from God's word, there is a place for you to understand that you were made to be conformed to the image of God's Son. And so that as we go through these character traits, some of them are entirely unreachable because you have no creative power at all. However, some of them are reachable, and we should follow and copy his example when it comes to character traits that are duplicatable. We'll never be able to have them in the measure he has them, or in the glory with which he has them, but we still should conform our lives to be like him, because that's another way in which we honor him, is to live and speak and think like him. Did we just sing a few minutes ago, His lips or flow with grace? Majestic sweetness sits enthroned. His lips or flow with grace. Where does that come from? Psalm 45. Grace is poured into thy lips. We want to speak like the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed God in heaven, forgive each of us when we have not spoken like the Lord Jesus Christ. Let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Father, be with us now as we turn the pages of Scripture and delight in Thy Son. We are not going to make light of Him. We are going to make Him as great as we are able in the English language. And by Your Word and Spirit, help us now in Jesus' name and for His honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Last Lord's Day, I began with achievement. 
A great man is a man who's done great things. That's really simple. Great accomplishments are rightly esteemed for proving past and future ability. The high school quarterback that I mentioned to you gets the prettiest girl in the school, but usually the homecoming queen. That's the storybook story that you want to read about, that we typically read about and hear about, because the high school quarterback that leads his team to the state championship gets the prettiest girl because of his achievements. He might not be best in the classroom, but because we have a pleasure-driven society, the football field is honored more than the academic classroom. That football quarterback might be pumping gas 10 years later, while some of the geeks in his high school might be doing something far greater than he, but that's irrelevant for the moment. I'm trying to give you an example of achievement. When they get to the collegiate level, and all those high schoolers don't get to play football because they're not good enough, they don't have the gifts of God to be able to make it on a collegiate football team, they still find one man who's the best of them all, and he becomes the most eligible man in collegiate football, and his name is Tim Tebow. And he's no longer in collegiate football, but he was the most eligible man in America at the collegiate level. He had a whole lot of other wonderful traits to go with his football playing ability because he was an outspoken Christian as well. When they get to the professional ranks and the collegiate ranks are thin by 99%, it is still going to come down to the greatest achievements. And the greatest achievements in the last 10 years has been a quarterback named Tom Brady. And he was considered the most eligible man in the world for a while while he was single. And he married the world's most beautiful woman. And the reason I go through all of that is just to remind you of the importance of achievement. Because whether it is grade school, high school, college, or professional ranks, or the professional world, or industry, those that have great accomplishments get great esteem, and rightly so. Because great accomplishments should be recognized and rewarded and praised. Great men are known by their great deeds. It's obvious and right for women to appreciate and desire success over failure. I mean, should girls look for the biggest failure in their school, church, neighborhood, family, or whatever? And the more the better of successes. Our Lord's achievements in either nature are recorded in the pages of Scripture from beginning to end in detail, and they are listed as something that we should initially and preliminarily rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished and done. Right. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 with me. Just let me give you an example. The achievements, the accomplishments of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, as it introduces him about some of the things he's done. He didn't lead his high school football team to the state championship. He had better things to do than playing with such a weird-shaped object. And he did it. <clears throat> Look at Hebrews 1. <clears throat> God, my favorite book of the New Testament, becomes my favorite in about the first word, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Amen. Two things very quickly, God wants you to know about his son. He is heir of all things. I am married to the heir of all things. And so are you. If you're a believer, in the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity and in truth. He's been appointed the heir of all things, and I'm a joint heir with Him. This is the Lord Jesus Christ that I present to you, heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. 
His creative achievements, his creative accomplishments are addressed in these few words. They're spoken of in other places like John 1.3. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So whatever flower or bird or animal or star or moon or sun you are looking at, Jesus Christ made them. You say, I thought we believed in incarnate sonship. We do. And if you understood it, you wouldn't have a question. He has two natures. He is the God-man. As the Word of God in John 1, He made all things, and without Him was anything made that was made. In His human nature, He was a creature. Created by the power of the Holy Ghost and the overshadowing of the highest in the womb of Mary. Together, He is the Lord Jesus Christ. By whom also He made the worlds. There's an achievement for you that sets him apart from all others. Man can't create anything. All we can do is reform what he created. I love to take a pencil and ask a child. My children already know where I'm going. Who made the pencil? Man did. They would say from their high chair. Well, they weren't that precocious, but... Who made the pencil? Man did. Who made the wood from which the pencil was made? God did. And I would pick up anything I could get my hands on. Who made this? Man did. Whatever it was made of, who made that? God did. Because all man does is reshape a piece of wood from a tree into a pencil and ram a piece of lead into the middle of it and you sharpen it and think you've got something neat and you do have something neat compared to many of our ancestors in this world. But God made the tree, God made the lead, and God gave man the wisdom to extract both and to put them together by witty inventions for you to have a pencil. All things were made by Him without anything. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Look at verse 10. Hebrews 1.10, And, do you know how many times Paul quotes the Scriptures in Hebrews 1? And, and again, and again, and again, and. Those are all quotations from different parts of the Old Testament. The Hebrews would have been shouting. Hebrew Christians. Shouting. Because they hadn't read the name of Paul. They'd only read the name of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They didn't like Paul. They thought Paul preached too much against the law of Moses and against Moses and the institutions and ordinances of their religion. So Paul takes his time building up to letting them know that he was a great friend of Timothy and others in the last chapter. But right now, they'd be shouting, Amen. All the quotations from their scriptures. Verse 10, And thou, Lord... This is Psalm 102. In the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. This is a description of the Lord Jesus Christ in his divine nature out of Psalm 102, because that's the whole purpose of Hebrews chapter 1. And thou is to be connected with, verse 8, but unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. You want to talk about accomplishments? Forget the football quarterback and think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the creator of all things. What do you like in this universe? Do you like the little fingernails on Elizabeth Nicole? Jerry and Deborah didn't make them. Have you ever seen Jerry's drawings? The Lord made them. What do you want to look at? The Lord made it. Right. You take a piece of fruit that's wrapped in a skin to keep the moisture on the inside and the heat and the dryness on the outside, and you tear into that piece of fruit and it's so good and succulent and tasty. Everyone has a different combination of texture. Taste, juiciness, effect on your taste buds. It's wonderful. The Lord made it all. 
And do we want to remember that? Not only did He make it all, He's going to fold it up one day soon and give us something better. Because we polluted and corrupted this place. He's going to fold it up like a dirty cloth and put it away. A used piece of clothing. Look at chapter 3 and verse 4. Moses was a great man. Moses was so great that Tom Brady's not worthy of carrying his water. That's a water boy. Moses was so great. But I read in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 4 that after it describes the greatness of Moses, in verse 2, it says in verse 4, For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. There's the Lord Jesus Christ better than Moses. In chapters 1 and 2, it's Jesus is better than the angels. In chapter 3, it's Jesus is better than Moses. In chapter 4, it's Jesus is better than Joshua. In chapter 5, Jesus is better than the priests of the Levitical order. Because he was made after the order of Melchizedek. So achievement. The Lord Jesus Christ. I spent enough time on that. I just wanted to remind you of it from last Lord's Day. We could mention so many different things. And I mentioned many of them in a list. Last Lord's Day. You know, he did defeat Satan. He did defeat death. He paid for all your sins. The third verse of Hebrews 1, which I didn't read to you, says He is the express image of God and the brightness of His glory. And upholding all things with the word of His power, not only did He create them, but He holds them together. And the things that are going on inside of an atom, the things that are going on with all the component parts of cellular division and reproduction is incredible, and it's all upheld by the word of His power. He simply says, uphold. And all cells everywhere uphold. But it also says, when he had by himself purged our sins. Brother, Stephen Eastland came roaring in here this morning, wanting to talk about that his arrows are sharp in the hearts of the king's enemies. And we were rejoicing together about death, the grave, Satan, and sin. Jesus Christ's arrows were sharp because he destroyed all his enemies. Amen. And he did it by himself. And you better be thankful for your King James Bibles in Hebrews 1.3 because the two words by himself are removed from all other translations of the Bible. I think they're kind of important. Amen. And so does the Lord or he wouldn't have put them there and they glorify Jesus Christ. But there's another word out there that doesn't want to glorify Jesus Christ. It's the same word that we heard in the beginning. Thou shalt not surely die. We looked at leadership. Great men wisely take charge to evoke confidence and trust for following and love. Men and women appreciate strong and kind leaders that make wise decisions and accomplish them. This trait of great men combines not only a powerful office, but leadership abilities and a popular following. Everybody follows a leader. I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ in review. Angels served Him. Devils feared Him. Men and women of all kinds adored and followed Him. He rules the nations with a rod of iron and breaking them in pieces according to His own will. I want to remind you about occupational ability. A great man have exceptional abilities and or acquired skills for a great occupation. So that they can take an important job and get the wages, compensation, or earnings, or return, commensurate with that position, and that blesses the woman that gets to marry them. Innate gifts or acquired skills cause men to rise from the mass of mediocrity and to become great. Unless a man is competent with an excellent job or business, he cannot well care for his wife. Which is why wise fathers will explore a young man's work ethic, his educational accomplishments, his earnings power, and what he saved. I remember when my friend that was a bond trader with me went to Georgia to meet the father of his first wife. We discussed what he was going to take with him, and it sure did include his 1040. Because along with a resume and a 1040, you need to be able to convince the father of a girl that you're able to take care of her. I'm talking about occupational ability, but I'm talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is sitting at God's right hand. He is to inherit all things, but his job, he's prophet. He's priest. He's king. He's apostle. He's high priest. He's everything. He's bishop. He's shepherd. He's door. He's head. He's cornerstone. He's everything. He's creator. He's sustainer. He's savior. He's redeemer. He's everything. Does he have occupational ability? I would say so. You want to be married to a doctor, I asked you? He's the great physician. You want to be married to a lawyer? He's the only mediator between God and men. You want to be married to a prince? God's made him prince of the kings of the earth. You want to be married to a professor? He's the rabbi and teacher and master of Israel. How about economic ability? That's financial power. Great men have assets, income, or abilities for financial gain, for good living. Women look for a man that's financially independent if they can have one. Financially secure men rather than the underemployed or unemployed. We're not talking about human marriage. I'm only doing it because in human marriage, it gives us a picture of the mystery of Christ and His church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. I want you to be thinking of Christ. I present Jesus Christ to you. He is your husband. He has economic power. He has so much economic power that when an infinite sum was requested and required and demanded in a demand note for your redemption, he paid it, even though it was his lifeblood. Glory! He paid an infinite price. The precious blood of Christ for your redemption. He owns a cattle in a thousand hills, and all the silver and the gold is his. He gave his life a ransom for many. He's your husband. He has entire, complete, infinite economic power. How about his entertaining ability? Great men are charming, gracious, and skilled for creating comfort. Women would not choose a bumbling or selfish man if they knew ahead of time he was such, and they had other alternatives, who cannot make guests and her comfortable. Because a charming man, an entertaining man, a gracious man, is a great man. It's one of the things of the children of men that make them fair. A gracious man is fair. A gracious man is delightful. He's pleasant to be around. You enjoy him. He relaxes you. He warms you. The warmth of his words, his kindness, and the countenance of his face are all pleasant. The Lord Jesus Christ is the chiefest of 10,000 by this measure as well. He entertained Israel in the wilderness. He fed a crowd with more than enough from nothing twice. In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Lord Jesus Christ loves pleasure. Pleasure that God has ordained. Pleasure that God has approved. Pleasure that never leaves you with guilt or shame. Pleasure that never brings God's displeasure. And they're all at the right hand of God. Heaven is going to be a place filled with pleasure For there are pleasures forevermore at God's right hand. They are just different kinds of pleasures, although some may be similar than the folly of this world where men call things fun, but it's sin, and it leaves them dysfunctional, discouraged, depressed, guilty, shamed, condemned, often even by our own courts and the opinion of others. Entertaining ability. How about his intellectual ability? God's works and thoughts cannot be numbered. We can only speak of them darkly. Isaiah declared there was no searching of his understanding. You'll never be bored with him. When you have a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's always new and fresh. You can read the Bible a hundred times, but your 101st trip through the Bible, if you've done it prayerfully and meditatively, with a clean conscience and hands pure from sin... He is going to show you wonderful things out of His law, time 101, that you haven't seen a hundred times before. He's inexhaustible. And His Word is inexhaustible. It's His intellectual ability. He's able to speak to you. He can plumb the depths. He can separate between your soul and spirit. Your husband can't even find your spirit. He can separate between your soul and spirit. He can separate between your joints and your marrow. He can discern the thoughts and intents of your heart. That's some intellectual superiority. How about observational ability? Great men are perceptive, sensitive, and analytical of their surroundings. 
A wise woman and her father wants a man who will sense her needs and those of others around him to respond accordingly. Jesus discerns the thoughts and intents of our heart. He perceives unspoken words while they are still in our tongue. David said in Psalm 139, He doesn't miss a sparrow or a hare. He knows your needs before you ever ask Him, and He's never unrighteous to forget your labor of love, no matter how small it might be. And He'll bring it to memory, to your memory, in the great day of judgment, when He said, In so much as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. What about His communication ability? Great men are verbal. Great men are easily verbal, clearly verbal, and pleasantly verbal on all subjects. You say, well, I'm not very verbal. Well then, you're not great like the Lord Jesus Christ yet. But He's working on you. You're going to be more verbal when you get to heaven. We're not thinking about you. We're thinking about Christ. This This isn't a preaching series about your character. This is a preaching series about His character, and He's very verbal. He's easily verbal, clearly verbal, and pleasantly verbal. Women love verbal affection that confirm a husband's love and expresses it in a variety of ways, and the Lord Jesus does that to us and for us. Even his enemies while on earth said that no man spake, ever spake, like this man. That's your husband. Do you want a verbal man? How many times have I heard, he's just so quiet. I just don't know about him. He's so quiet. Oh, that's not the Lord. No man ever spake like this man. The Bible tells us in John seven forty six, when two of his disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus pulled up alongside of them, he explained to them the word of God, and it says, what was the effect of his devotional? Their hearts burned within them. Oh, Lord, give us that burning right now. Speak to us with your precious word and by your spirit and cause our hearts to burn. When he speaks, he can bring your heart to life. He's your husband. I present to you the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm talking about his communication ability. Women want a man who can communicate. He never tells me what he's thinking. He never answers my questions. Jesus told his disciples everything that he was going to do, so he called them friends. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. A master doesn't tell his servants what he's going to do, and I've told you everything. From here on, you're my friends, because I tell you everything I'm going to do. There's just a lot of comfort when your leader tells you what he's up to, what he's thinking, what he's planning, and what's going to happen. And Jesus is the best at all of that, because you can't be, because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And he knows what's going to happen for the rest of your life. And beyond. Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're talking about his communication ability. I love this passage of scripture. I hope you love it. I hope you know where I'm going. If I'm speaking about communication, I say Luke 4. I hope that there are some in here that know their Bibles and are able to know what example that I'm going to bring to you. He came to his hometown of Nazareth. And as his custom was in verse 16, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And when they were asking for volunteers to read, he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? No, 
This is God's Son. And grace was poured into His lips. He was like his father David. When Saul said to David, Whose stripling is this young man? Who art thou, young man? I am the son of thy servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. No pretensions. Jesus sat down and said, This day are these scriptures fulfilled in your midst. The graciousness I give you, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love the pages of Scripture as they describe the Son of God? Do you want to be around a gracious man who says kind things and says them humbly and in a gentle way where the words are a balm to your soul and health to your life? Or do you want the sword of sarcasm, the sword of criticism? Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being our husband. Multitudes followed to hear him preach. And in Matthew chapter 7, the last two verses of the chapter, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, this is the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters long in the Gospel of Matthew, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. You know, our world wants to tell us that when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. But I say unto you, when the Lord Jesus spoke... People that had a heart for righteousness and truth, they listened. And not only did they listen, they were astonished by His authority because He knew what He was talking about. Aren't we tired of hearing the hot air coming out of people's mouths that don't know what they're talking about? They think they do, but they don't. And we're so tired of the noise. It grates on our ears and on our minds, but never with the Lord Jesus Christ. He perfectly fulfilled Solomon's proverb, about the beauty of a word fitly spoken, like apples of gold and picture frames of silver. The Lord God gave him the tongue of the learned, so he would know how to speak well. Isaiah 50 and verse 4 tells us. Mary was different from Martha, because Martha was cumbered about with much serving when Jesus was in their home. But Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet to hear every word that came out of his mouth. Do you love to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? Most of you have red-letter edition Bibles. Red-letter edition Bibles mean that the words of Jesus Christ are in red. When you're reading the Bible, do you appreciate, do you rejoice in what is said in the red writing? All of it's inspired. All of it is equally true. But the red writing are the words that proceeded out of the gracious lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. A great man has communication ability. He is clear. He can easily express his thoughts. He is persuasive. He is kind. He is gracious. He is gentle. He knows how to use a word at the right season for him that is weary. He can make his words look like apples of gold and picture frames of silver. The Lord Jesus Christ had it all. He is your king. He is the head of this church. He is the Savior of the body. He is our Redeemer. And I'm telling you of His excellent greatness. I present to you Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Moral character. Great men are good. Great men are noble, pure, upright, strong, and virtuous in all things. Not some things, all things. Great men are noble and virtuous, pure and good. Many wives have feared husbands, giving in to various vices and thereby threatening them, their security, their love, their intimacy, their children, their finances, their home, their future. Many women have had to fear husbands that had vices, The previous traits, achievements, leadership, intellectual ability, observational ability, all those traits of a great man are worthless if they are not controlled and ruled and used in a good, noble, virtuous, godly way. Are you with me? We're not going down the list. Our list is working up. 
if you follow what I'm saying. Achievement. There have been wicked men that have achieved some things in this world. But we want achievement that is always governed by goodness, purity, morality, righteousness, holiness. I present to you the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no fear with Him. There is no vice that is going to take over Him. There is no bad habit, either verbal or moodiness or violence, that will ever come over Him. He is of pure goodness. He is holy. You can put all of your trust in Him today, tomorrow, and forever, in time, in eternity. His moral character. God the Father testified that Jesus loved righteousness and hated iniquity. In Psalm 45, and Paul quoted it in Hebrews chapter 1. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. The world's history is filled with weeping women who married men that were fools and the pain that it caused them. Our Lord Jesus Christ is free from all that. He's perfect nobility. He's perfect virtue, holiness, and righteousness. He's altogether lovely, especially in this matter. And you can worship Him in the beauty of holiness, knowing that He's not going to change His mind. He's not going to have a fit of anger. A sarcastic sword is not going to leap out of His mouth and slash you. He's not going to waste the family money on drunkenness, gambling. He's not going to be unfaithful to you and commit adultery. Praise His name! He's fairer than the children of men. He's the chiefest among 10,000. Even David, in whom Israel delighted and set much by his name in their households. He was unfaithful to his wives. He was unfaithful to his first wife, his second wife, his third wife, his fourth wife. He was pitiful. He was unfaithful to his children. He was pitiful. He had vices. Samson may have been strong, but who would have wanted to be married to him with his vice of Philistine prostitutes? But the Lord Jesus Christ praises glorious name. You can put your trust in him. Amen. He will never turn away from you. He will never fall into a sin in which it'll hurt or harm your relationship. He always did those things that pleased his father. The infinitely perfect God of heaven. A father may say to the father of a bride, my son has never disappointed me. Well, that's coming from one liar about another. It's the best I can say. I have other things I could say. That's coming from one liar to another about a third. When the God of heaven says... This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased and I always do those things that please Him. What a statement. That is your husband. He's your King. He's your Lord. He's the head of this church. Do you delight in Jesus, your Savior, today? Though He was sorely tempted like as we are, He did not give in to those temptations. No, not once. Never. We we have a statement where we say... A fly in the ointment. When we say a fly in the ointment, we mean there's a disappointment, there's a problem with something otherwise good. In Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1 is where that statement came from. In that place, it says, a little folly on the part of him that is had in reputation for wisdom and honor is like a dead fly in the apothecary's ointment. In his perfume, you've got a dead fly. When a man that's to be upheld for wisdom and virtue has a little folly. It sends forth a stinking savour. It stinks. When a man that is good and noble overall has a moment or a week or a year of folly. It sends forth a stinking savour. I give you Jesus Christ. 
there's never been a fly in the ointment. Amen. He has had in reputation for wisdom and honor, and he has never violated it, no, not once at a dinner. He has never spoken when he shouldn't have. He always spoke when he should have. His words were always gracious when they should have been, and they were only seasoned with salt when they needed to be. Right. He was He's altogether lovely. Amen. So true and extensive was his freedom from sin that theologians have had to invent a theological term. It's called the impeccability of Jesus Christ. Impeccability of Jesus Christ. That means he cannot sin. Though he was tempted in all points like as we are, he cannot sin. You have an impeccable husband. Pilate and his wife testified that he was just and innocent in spite of all the false testimonies raised against them. They had the best sense of justice and judgment of men present at his trial. They said he was innocent because of his moral character. Judas declared when he threw his 30 pieces of silver back into the temple, he declared that he had betrayed the innocent blood. I present to you Jesus Christ, the innocent, harmless, undefiled, spotless, and separate from sinners. Our Savior and our Lord, do you love him? Will you praise Him? Will you live like Him? Will you conform your life to be like that of our Lord Jesus Christ? I hope that you will pray and prepare and participate with all your mental faculties over such a simple sermon series to think upon the glories of Jesus Christ. You're going to spend eternity doing it. Why don't we get used to it now? Why don't we tell him now all the things that delight us about him? Let us speak to him with intelligence. Let us tell him specific things. And I'm going to give you as many as I, the Lord will show me as we consider the glory of Jesus Christ. May he bless the preaching of his word about him. Amen.